Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Strong Mind, Strong Body podcast. I'm your host, Angie Miller. And today, in honor of Stress Awareness Month, we are going to talk about harnessing our strengths to do none other than build our resilience. And so I couldn't think of two better people to come on and talk about harnessing strengths to build resilience than the two thought leaders, global thought leaders, Chester Elton and Adrian. And both of them have written a number of books. They host podcasts. Again, they are global thought leaders. Their latest book is Anxiety at Work. And they're going to talk to us about gratitude, harnessing our strengths, and all those other things that we need to do to lower our stress and anxiety. So let me introduce you, Adrian and Chester, and I'm just going to give you a minute just to introduce yourselves and tell the world a little bit about you. Well, thanks, Angie. We're, we're honored to be on your podcast. And uh, um my name is Adrian Gostick, um, co-author of uh, our new book, Anxiety at Work. We've written 14 books together, Chester and I, including books like uh, The Carrot Principle and All In and other books. And we, we write a lot for business audiences. Uh, this latest book is really about how to bring down anxiety levels in the workplace, whether you're a leader, whether within yourself. Right, Chess? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Adrian always goes first because his name is first on the book. It's uh, Gostick and Elton. <laughs> So, yeah, we've been studying uh, culture and leadership and this book on anxiety. And we're so delighted to be with you, Angie, because it is the number one issue in the workplace today. And all the things you're talking about with fitness and strong minds and strong bodies, you know, anxiety, when you've got that thing burning in the back of your brain, it's really hard to focus and, and, and build that resilience and get things done. So thank you so much for allowing us to share some of our research with your listeners today. You know what? And I couldn't agree more. And I think that's perfect because even as trainers, whether they're working as their own individual entity, whether they're working from home, whether whether they're seeing clients in person, no matter what the realm in which they work, we're dealing with people in your ride. If we have enough, a lot of underlying anxiety and stress, it's going to show up in the way that we interact with the people that we work with and the clients that we reach. That's why I thought you guys were the perfect two to talk to this topic. So you kind of talked about all the books and now you've got this latest one, Anxiety at Work. And I know you have a podcast on that. And I know Chester, you are like the, you're both the gurus of gratitude. <laughs> and I talked a little bit about gratitude last week because I did a whole podcast on how do we get in our own way and how do we create more stress for ourselves? And I think that we do do that, right? We are the ones, the ultimate at getting in our own way. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely agree. You know, we talk a lot about the inner voice and we, sometimes that inner voice can be kind of mean. We're, we're, we're more mean to ourselves than we would be to other people. You know, so we talk about one way to train that inner voice is make it your best friend. And what would your best friend say to you? Well, they'd say, hey, you know, listen, you've got a lot of people that love you. Look, you've, you've got a healthy body and a healthy mind. You've, you've, you've got uh, beauty all around you when you go for your runs. You know, you're, you're lucky to be training people to make them feel better about themselves. And you go through this list of things you're grateful for. Rather than the things that you don't have, what are you grateful for that you do have? And you train that inner voice to be your best friend. And to really encourage you, that spirit of gratitude, because as you well know, Angie, you can't be in a state of anxiety and a state of gratitude at the same time. You can only hold one emotion. 
So, you know, as we always say, if you have your choice, choose gratitude. <laughs> Don't choose anxiety. And making that list of things you're grateful for is certainly helpful. I love that. And, you know, I was thinking, um, I, I have my best thoughts when I'm walking my dog. How about you guys? So I was walking Bodhi the dog the other night and I was thinking, you know, I think that when we talk about gratitude, it's not that we don't, it's not that we don't acknowledge the difficulties in our lives. It's not that we don't acknowledge that we are going through these challenges, but really it's a way of, okay, we do have these challenges and we do, we are facing these difficulties in our lives, but at the end of the day, the foundation, you know, what are these things that that build us up? What are these things that sustain us? And by the way, I have to tell you, Chester, thank you for saying, what would your best friend say? Because that's one of my tools. And I also say, what would your mom say? So, you know, if, if somebody were to reframe or reflect your thought back to you, what's their, what's the kind lens that they would reflect back to you? Perfect. Perfect. Couldn't have said it better. That's awesome. So Adrian, I'm curious, oh, you were going to add to that. So go ahead, because yeah, I was going to no, ask you a question. It's such an important point about this idea of gratitude is that, you know, one of the things that we recommend is, you know, if you haven't begun, it's a little bit of almost of a cliche nowadays, but really beginning a gratitude journal. It really is one of the best things you can do for a strong mind is at the end of the day, thinking about what what positives have happened during the day versus the negatives. A friend of ours actually is now practicing this with his family. You know, the old dinner conversation of uh, what you do today? Nothing. Uh, how was school? Fine. You know, he's replaced that actually with gratitude. He asks, what was the best part of your day? Uh, who are you grateful for who's, who's not at the table? And who are you grateful for who's at the table, but who hasn't been thanked yet? There's a lot of ways we can bring gratitude into our everyday lives if we're looking for it. You know what? I love that. And I always say focus on what's working, not what's not working. So, you know, it's about, you know, focus on what you're focusing on. And so, okay, I hear these five things that aren't working. Can you tell me something that is working? And I gave a presentation recently on stress and resilience. And I said, you know, try asking your, your client or your kids or your spouse or somebody, especially somebody who tends to look at the glass half empty, try approaching them with saying something like, what's good today? And I said, you know, you probably don't want to do it after they, you know, after they get started talking about the litany of everything that's bad because it can come across as patronizing. But that would be your introduction when you meet them is, hey, what's good today? It kind of throws them off guard a little bit, but it puts them in that space of, huh, what is good today? <laughs> yeah, I love what you're saying there because it's like, you know, we wake up in the morning and we're so defensive. We think of everything's going to go wrong. Why not wake up and say, hey, what's going to go right today? <laughs> you know, yeah. a little different. Uh, you know, one of the things that I love to do for myself personally is just a personal mantra. And so when I wake up in the morning and I like to go for a walk. Now, I don't walk my dog. I don't have a dog. Adrian has a dog. So I've got can... lots of dogs. <laughs> I've loved your dog, Jess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is when my feet hit touch the ground, Angie, I say, be kind, be grateful, be of service. And it just puts you in that mindset that, look, I'm, I'm going to bring civility to my day-to-day. -day. I'm going to be kind to people. I'm going to be grateful for what I have. And I'm going to look for opportunities to serve. And as you well know, when you are out of focusing on yourself and focusing on others, what can I do for others? It does tamp down your anxiety. It gives you purpose. It gives you a reason to get up in the morning. And I find for myself, that's one of my best practices.
I love that. That goes back to that Nikon therapy that originated in Japan, where they talk about what did I do for others today? Um, it's just a way of reflecting on ourselves through what, how we service other people and what we offer to others. But that's a great thing. Um, Adrian, what do you do? Like, what's your kind of personal practice? You know, I think, and this is such a, it's such a personal thing because, you know, as, as we, as we lecture on our new book and as we, we work with organizations on building resilience, sometimes people will say, tell me the three things I have to do. And what we find is, and of course, you know, this Angie too, working with your clients is everybody is very different. You know, some people say, oh my gosh, I've got to get my sleep. I've got to get my hour work at it in the morning. I've got to do this, that, and that. But what we find is don't try to put what works for me onto you. And so for me, you know, it really is getting a good night's sleep. It's working out in the morning so I can get my head straight. It's, and it's also, I, especially during this pandemic, I've really tried to practice acceptance. You know, it's very Buddhist in a way, though I'm not a Buddhist, but it's allowing those to wash over you and to say, okay, am I letting things affect me today or am I letting them go? And so, again, you've got to find for yourself, and that's what we found with, with Anxiety at Work. We interviewed all these executives. One, one very successful executive, she told us, the night before, I visualize, just like Chester said, I visualize good things that can happen tomorrow. Not huge things. I'm not winning the lottery. But it could be an old friend calls me. It could be a, it could be a client that says, hey, we want to do another project with you. They're just little things, but I visualize and I start my night as I fall asleep thinking about good things that can happen the next day. Find what works for you and then keep doing it. Yeah, and I love that. And I also tell people that's that's a great way of doing it is find what works for you. Have this toolbox. But I also tell people that what worked for you when you were 20 may not work for you when you're 30 or 40. It's the same reason that I was motivated to exercise when I was in my 20s because I wanted to get into my skinny jeans. And I'm motivated to exercise now because I want to remember where they are someday. So I want to keep my cognitive health. So I think it's that same thing about what mitigated my anxiety when I was in my 20s is very different from what mitigates my anxiety now when I'm in my 30s. Aha. <laughs> I love it. Well, I'd never bought a pair of skinny jeans, so it took a lot of pressure <laughs> off me. Uh, <laughs> you are right, though. You know, um, a lot of the research that we used to write our book, uh, Anxiety at Work, it came from our motivators assessment. And we've had over 100,000 people take that. And one of the things that became very apparent is that obviously your motivators change over time. You know, what motivated you in your 20s is different than your 30s and 40s and so on. And it's very, it's very important, I think, to be attuned to that, that as your motivations change, as your priorities change, that your, your, you know, your rituals are going to change as well. And that's, that's so important. What are your goals? What, what is really important to you now? Is it more about relationships? Is it more about work? And I think that's very insightful that you brought that up, Angie. Yeah, it has to do with our values, doesn't it? Yep. Our, our core beliefs. If we're not in line with those, it's almost like we feel like we're wearing a pair of jeans that doesn't fit going back to jeans. You know, I, I must be on the jean thing today. So, you know, it's about finding that fit. And, and, and that is that's a key component. Were you going to say something, Adrian? Oh, I'm just I just think what you're saying is, is so true about this idea of core values. You know, the, the thing is, very few people think of this. And what are my core values? We just went through a little exercise with a friend of ours who, who said, think of your hero, you know, and write down a few ideas that you think of when you think of your hero. Um, you know, maybe it's your mom, you know, and all the great things she did for you. And, and then this, this, this facilitator who was helping us said, okay, those, those are your values. 
Those are the things that you really believe in. And I, it was really a simple way of looking at things, but very powerful for us to think about, you know, who's our hero and what did they do? Well, let's try and emulate those ideas. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to reintroduce you to, so I have Adrian Gostick and I have Chester Elton. And they are global thought leaders. They are gurus of gratitude. And they are the authors of many, many books and podcasts hosts. And so we are blessed to have them on here today. And they are talking about gratitude and uh, not just, you know, we're talking about gratitude globally in the workplace at home and how it has this transferable effect on us. So basically it all boils down to how do we harness our strengths to get rid of anxiety? And gratitude is such a massive, massive part of that is paying attention to what we're paying attention to and being happy for the things that are working in our lives. So I have another question for you all, and that is that uh, the, the compassion word. Um, I think that we are, uh, you said something, Adrian, and it really made me think that when you, when uh, COVID hit and you were, you were at home and you really started to think, I have to think about acceptance. And um, I, when I think about compassion, I think about acceptance. And I think, you know, we are much more accepting of other people when we're accepting of ourselves. And um, I, I think of that, um, that <laughs> I think of that, that mean girl thing that goes on in like middle school. And, mm -hmm. and when girls and boys are at their worst, they are the meanest to one another because they don't even like the skin that they're in. And so whenever I meet a mean person or, you know, my daughters will tell me about somebody and I, I'm like, you know what, that's just mean. That is a reflection of who they are, not who you are. And I constantly remind people of that, that the way other people behave is a reflection of them, not you. But anyway, go back to compassion, if you would, and tell me how gratitude builds compassion. You know, this is a really important point, too, because, you know, as we as we did, again, research for anxiety at work, what we're finding is there's a couple of ideas when you're thinking about compassion. The first is sympathy. And that's OK. It's a it's a lower level. Uh, it's, you know, sympathy. You think of like, oh, bummer, dude. You know, that's happening to you. Empathy is a higher law. Empathy is I'm going to crawl down in the hole with you and feel what you're feeling, because I probably have at some point. And as you're trying to build stronger connections with your clients, your family members, et cetera, in this world, uh, really empathy is what we're trying to accomplish because we want to create that connection where we understand your pain and, and I'm, I'm really able to help at this point. Now, it's not I'm strong, you're weak. That's, that's, that's sympathy. Empathy is I felt what you felt. Thank you for sharing. Um, you know, and then you begin from that point, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. And don't you think empathy is also sitting in that space with them? It's not I have to get on my my cape and I have to fix and rescue you because I had to learn that one the hard way with my own kids. You know what? Mama cannot go in there and fix all your problems because guess what? If she does, you're going to blame me if things go bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's the danger, right? No question. I, I think, too, you know, when you talk about using gratitude is surround yourself with allies. You know, surround yourself with people that you, you really trust that you can go to so that when you do get in those those dark places and where it just becomes overwhelming, you've got people that you can trust that you go to. You know, one of the really shocking uh, data points that came out in our research around anxiety was that only one in 10 employees felt comfortable talking to their boss about, you know, ment uh, mental wellness and, and well-being and, and anxiety. And, and you think about that, you know, you, you wouldn't hesitate 
to say, hey, I was out skateboarding and I and I broke my ankle. I'm going to need some time off. In fact, that would be a badge of honor, right? And yet when you, you go and say, hey, I, I'm really just overwhelmed. I, I, I need a mental health day. There's a stigma still attached to that. And so, you know, playing on that empathy and best practices and your strengths, one of your strengths I hope will be is that you've you've got people in your life that are allies that you can really trust, that you can go to without hesitation and say, hey, I, 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 I need your help. And boy, that's really something to be grateful for. Good friends and good allies. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. What do you think, Adrian? No, it's, it's, it's so important, that idea. And a lot of times people will say, well, what if, what if my boss just doesn't get this? Or what if, you know, I'm in an environment? And there are ways sometimes you have to send up a little trial balloon, you know, um, you have to say, well, what do you, you know, maybe to your boss, what do you think about mental health in the workplace? How is it perceived around here? You got to, in some cases, put your toes in the water, but you do have to find somebody. And typically it's in the workplace that you can talk to. It's interesting when soldiers come back from, from war and they, there are many cases are suffering from PTSD. They have found that the best person to talk to often isn't a therapist. It's not their commanding officer. It's the fellow soldiers because they understand mm -hmm. what you've been through. So finding somebody who can really relate to the things you're going through is very powerful to have somebody who also understands your work situation and what you're facing. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think that that has a lot to do with why we've created all these online communities of people who resonate. You know, they say that we don't know what it's like to lose a mom till we lose our mom. And so, you know, when I went through that experience, I talked to friends who had lost their mom, not to the friends who still had their parent. Um, some of it was not just so much that I didn't think they could understand, but I didn't think they could understand. And also, I wasn't sure that they would be able to hold space for that. So I think that's a great way of putting it. I have to ask you guys something too. When it comes to this uh, anxiety word, you know, this is a really big word. And you know, I wrote about uh, an article um, on exercise and how to mitigate anxiety. You know, what the research shows on exercise reducing the impact of anxiety. Um, not to geek out for a minute, but what does some of the research show on what you guys do as far as anxiety at work that transfers into the workplace? And what is the, what is the role of whether it's playing off of our strengths or whether it's leading on gratitude or whether that's all one umbrella? Yeah, I think there's a lot of facets. To, I mean, it's everything that you said, right? It's having good personal strengths and practices. It's having people that you trust in the workplace. It's it's knowing when you need help, you know, and not being afraid to ask for help. I think those are all things that that play in. You know, we talk. We are business workplace experts, right? So it it and the reason that whatever we write about and research and 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 put into our books it always translates into our personal lives. You know, we spend so much time at work. There's no way that you can have an unhealthy workplace and have a healthy personal life. At least it's very rare and, and vice versa. So our, our role is to really help leaders and to help organizations create those healthy places to work where, you know, you feel good about what you do, that you think that your voice is heard, that what you say matters. And at the end, that people are grateful for the work that you put in. So that's that's really the direction we've we, we've taken in our work. And Adrian, what would you add to that? Well, you know, this is it's a really great question, Angie. And you know, it's interesting. Uh, the uh, with uh, Anthony Gostick on the book, Anthony is actually 
I uh, helped put himself through college as a NASM certified uh, fitness coach. So yeah. he, he knows your world. Um, and then he graduated in biotechnology. So he also has worked in genetics labs and, and is a really smart young man. And he really helped us understand the science of not only physiology and what's going on in the body, but also the brain. And what we fail to understand sometimes is, I mean, the brain is an organ of the body. Um, as Chester mentioned earlier, if we had an injury to one of the other parts of our body, we would talk about it. We would get the best help we could. Uh, it, there would not be a stigma around it. But there is with the brain, and that's a problem. Now, you add on top of that, what you talked about earlier, Angie, is, is that is the, all the pressures and stress of COVID-19, being isolated, being uh, fears and worry. Um, there are two types of uh, anxiety that we're dealing with. First is a, a clinical anxiety that some people, about a fifth of, uh, of all Americans are suffering from, but now we're up to almost double that because we have what we call transient anxiety, which is, you know, based on a situation. Well, we're, you know, putting stresses on upon stresses right now, and we have to be able to take care of ourselves and, in your case, in your clients, in in a different way than we've ever done before. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Go ahead, Chester. Yeah, I just want to add to that. I mean, uh, Adrian's bragging about uh, Anthony. He failed to mention Anthony's his son. <laughs> <laughs> He's bragging like a proud papa. I just wanted to make sure that you know that he really is a remarkable young man, and he comes from a re remarkable old man, which is his father. <laughs> I have a remarkable young woman. We could do like the dating game right now. Oh, we yeah. could just match them up. There we go. We're, we're cutting out now, people. All right. So um, so again, I just want to reintroduce my guests. I have Tester Elton and Adrian Gostick and the gurus of gratitude and also anxiety at work and at home. And so we're holding the space for how do we reduce anxiety? How do we play off of our strengths? And what is the role of gratitude in building this space of personal compassion, which lends itself to then having a more global global space of compassion, which is so, so vitally important right now. So, you know, guys, in light of all of this, you, you kind of talked about a couple of your personal practices. And I was listening to one of your podcasts this morning on the gratitude. Um, one of them, I can't remember, you have a lot. And one of the things that your guests had asked was, or you might have asked your guests, what what were the things that she put into place when COVID happened? And I think that that taught a lot of us about ourselves. It taught us a lot about what our strengths were. It taught us about a lot about maybe some limitations. And it taught us a lot about how to lean into being grateful for what we do have. And I noticed that for me personally, one of the things that I did was A, I learned to relax a little bit, hard to believe. Um, and then B, I also went into this mode of, of realizing that my, my need to always put a lot of, have a lot of uh, irons in the fire, so to speak, benefited me. I always have a lot of things going on. I have my hands on a lot of different places and that benefited me because if one world came crashing down, my whole world didn't come crashing down. And so I'm curious if there's other things that you guys learned besides what you've mentioned about yourselves or that you've heard other people mention through COVID. Yeah, um, I'll jump in again. You know, I was never uh, one that meditated very much. Uh, you and I sound a lot alike. You know, I always like to be busy. My days were always very frenetic. And I started just a daily meditation practice. It doesn't take a long, a long time, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, just focusing on my breathing and making sure I do it at the beginning of the day. 
And I found that to be very, very helpful. It's uh, something that I probably wouldn't have done had COVID not come along. Um, you know, before COVID, Adrian and I were on planes every week, flying to some conference, doing something. And now we have a little more stable, you know, routine in the morning. So for me, meditation has really been helpful uh, in, in tamping down my anxieties. Okay. Yeah. What I might add there too, Angie, is one thing I've had to begin uh, is, you know, the old improv uh, of and, yes and. And so that's kind of what I've started during COVID is, you know, we can become so negative. You know, you wake up in the morning. It's so easy to, to begin doom scrolling, uh, looking through the all the terrible things that are happening in the world. Um, is to put that off and to have more positive. Because sometimes I can be a little negative and people, you know, Chester knows this, he'll suggest something and I go, yeah, well, let me tell you the 12 reasons that won't work. Uh, <laughs> so instead is to, to begin with, yes, and let's also do this and this. And it's really, you know, been very positive for me to have more of a, a positive outlook versus, you know, that, that negativity, which can so easily engulf us during this time. Yeah, and I will just say he's gone from 12 down to more like eight. Thank you. That's all <laughs> so, Adrian, it's working. Keep on it. <laughs> I see. It's good to have a friend, an accountability partner, a partner who not only travels with us and speaks with us and, you know, does all these things that give us meaning and purpose, but also somebody who can kind of hold us accountable. Exactly. So, you know, I, I hear the conversation is mostly about, you know, how do we pull from our strengths and, and how do we figure out what those strengths are? It's also about gratitude and how do we use that to, you know, whether it's before we put our feet on the floor in the morning or whatever it is that we do, but what are some other ways that you think help build a good gratitude practice? Because I, I mean, I've talked about everything from journaling to, you know, Nikon therapy to, you know, talk about before you put your feet on the floor in the morning. What do you really, what have you found helps people build a gratitude practice? And one thing we talk about too is that your know, gratitude is an important part of reducing anxiety and stress. And it's just part of, um, in, in anxiety at work, we talk about so much other things like, for example, perfectionism right now can be a huge anxiety inducer in people. And yet so many of us suffer from this. We, we just don't want to get started because, well, if I don't, if I don't, if I'm not going to be perfect at this, I won't get going. If I am not, you know, an Olympian level in, uh, in my workouts, I'm not going to get going. And we've got to pull that back and realize there's a very big difference between perfectionism and being a diligent striver, um, just accomplishing a little bit more than we were yesterday. You know, many of our clients say, look, I, I follow the 1% rule where I'm, I'm trying to be 1% better today, not 10%, not twice as good, but just a little incremental improvements every day. And that's part of having a more grateful life is being able to make these small incremental gains. You know, I have over my door when I come into my office here, I just have a little sign that says, do it better. Because sometimes, you know, we do the same things over and over again sometimes, but we can do it better. We can just be a little bit better every day. And that really can bring the anxiety down if we're just focusing on that just incremental improvement. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that because it's about comparing who you were yesterday to who you are today instead of comparing yourself to the world around you. And thank you for bringing up perfectionism because you're right. It's a big 
driver of anxiety. Perfectionism is like the thing that makes us put our foot on the accelerator. And I've talked a lot about perfectionism because, you know, I may or may not struggle with it. So anything that I personally struggle with, usually you'll see an article about it or a video about it. And so you're right. It's a big driver of anxiety and it gets in the way of our strengths because we're never going to be perfect. Right, right. You know, along that line is I think, you know, when you just reflect at the end of the day, and, um, you know, we, I've, I've got six basic questions that I've built on. And, and the way you phrase the reflection, I think, is important, too. It's like, did I do my best to set clear goals? Not did I set perfect goals or did I set, you know, it just did I do my best? Did I do my best to make progress towards those goals? You know, did I do my best to find meaning today? Did I do my best to be happy? Did I do my best to build positive relationships? And then did I do my best to be engaged? You know, and I think when you reflect on that, did I do my best? To, to Adrian's point, did I give my best effort? Was it 1% better than, than yesterday? I think those kinds of reflections really help us put the day in perspective and help us stay in that positive mindset. What, what do you think, Angie? I love that. I love those six questions. I'm going to go back and listen so that I can write those six <laughs> questions down. And you know, the did I do my best is really, really powerful. I've had to stop clients or stop my daughter in the past in the middle of this, you know, oh my God, the sky is falling and say, did you do your best? Yeah. And it always stops people kind of in their tracks because I'm like, we only know what we know. And sometimes we have to, you know, let up on ourselves a little bit and realize you know, the old saying of hindsight is twenty twenty vision. If only I knew then, right? Mm -hmm. So if I could have my mind and my experience now, but, you know, um, the, the <laughs> less wrinkles that I had when I was 20, then, you know, we would be perfect, right? So, you know, it's, it's, we can only do what we can do in the space that we're in today, right? Well, I just like to say, you know, I think my wrinkles add character. So I, uh, <laughs> I, I embrace the wrinkles. <laughs> so Adrian, would you add anything to that? I, I think, you know, what you're saying is extremely wise that, that, you know, boy, wouldn't it be nice to be able to go back to our, our 20 year old selves. Um, you know, I'm, I'm working, we do a lot of executive coaching, Chester and I, and I'm working with a, with a new, new coach or a new executive right now. We're trying to Get him to that next level and it's really interesting one of the the things is i've been doing 360s on him people have just been telling me he needs to relax he needs to to loosen up uh it's you know but when we're younger everything we're so serious about everything um and there's just such confidence that comes as you realize 99 of stuff in life yeah it's not that important you know i just have to let things go i have to be able to you know as our as our good friend marshall goldsmith says you just you just let it go. Um, whatever we're hanging on to, forgiveness is a, a vital part of, of wellness. And so, yeah, if you could go back and tell your young self one thing, it would be, yeah, loosen up, relax. It's going to come. You're going to be so much more successful. People are going to see it within you, especially your clients. I love that. I love that relationship to your young self, because I think that sometimes if we reflect back and we think about that young self who was so uptight about this or uptight about that, and and we say, you know what, look, look how far you made it. You did okay, right? You did okay, girl. You did okay, guy. You're you're okay. And again, it's, it's we only know what we know. And it's, it's personal forgiveness goes along with that personal compassion. Being able to forgive ourselves for, for what? Not knowing? Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think it's it's moving on as well. 
you know, I love to put quotes up on my bulletin board. And, and one of my favorites is, is Mother Teresa, you know, where she says, yesterday is gone. Tomorrow has not yet come. We have only today. Let us begin. Ah, I love that. Yeah. And there's that Buddha one that every day is a new day. And uh, can't remember how the whole thing goes. But, you know, maybe 20 years ago, I would have remembered. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but the one last thing that I do want to really quick address is habit, the H word, habit, habit, habit. And I think that habit builds habit, right? And so whatever we do the most of is what we become accustomed to. So just kind of curious in your book, do you talk about habit or what do you have to say about habit in all of this? No, I think Angie, you're exactly right. And we, you know, we all know the old, you know, statistics of how long it takes to build a habit, et cetera. But, but there's such wisdom in this. And, you know, and what if we, we speak a lot to, you know, leaders, especially in our book, Anxiety at Work, and, and how they can build better, more positive habits, where, for example, instead of just, you know, asking your people every day, hey, how's it going as you walk by and it's how, how, how are you? It's like one word. It's really building in positive habits where you're asking a little deeper, how are you doing today? Because today's probably different than yesterday or the day before. And then when they say, oh, I'm fine, you dig below that. Really? Because, boy, you know, let me tell you what's you know, stressing me out. And really getting people to open up. Those types of habits can be really positive where we, we in a way, we force ourselves to change. I'm not naturally the most empathetic person. But as a leader, I know I have to become a little bit more empathetic. I have to actually reach out and make connections with people. Well, with clients, too. We may not naturally be terrifically empathetic, but those are the kind of habits that will make you a better trainer, that will make you a better person, that will make you a better you know, spouse or, or mother, father, et cetera. Yeah, I love that. And you know, that that whole, I love what you said about, you know, digging a little deeper. And uh, I just did a little communication series video. And one of the things that I said was, say something more specific, like, Adrian, how's your dog? Or, you know, um, you know, something specific that you know about them. So instead yeah. of just, hey, how are you doing? Kind of, you know, bowl, bowl them over with something more personal and engaging. If, in fact, you want to stop and talk to them. <laughs> That's awesome. and Doug, Doug, Doug is doing great, by the way. My dog, yeah. So he's doing great. Chester, <laughs> what were you going to add to that? Oh, I just think, you know, those those habits, and you know this from exer exercise routines and working out different parts of your body. Those routines and rituals, I, I think, give us power as well. And it allows us to check the box. You know, one of the things I love about my mornings is I, I get up early. I go for a walk. At a certain point, I, I sit down and I meditate. And by the time I get back home, I've checked three of the boxes that I want to get done before I start my day. So, you know, getting in motion is a great habit. Get in motion. Get one thing done. Build momentum so that you can get the other things done has, has really been helpful for me. I love that. And, you know, it's true because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, routines make us feel like we're in control. Uh, yeah. They make us feel like we can manage our world. And it's the smallest of things. You know, I like to straighten the pillows on my sofa. I'm pretty sure it hasn't made a remarkable difference in this world, but it certainly makes a remarkable difference in my mindset. OK, exactly. So Chester Elton, Adrian Gostick, uh, the gurus of gratitude and uh, check out their books. They've got books, they've got podcasts. Um, they talk about anxiety at work, but it's so much deeper than that because 
Uh, Chester, you said a powerful comment that if you don't have a good work environment, you don't have a good home environment, and so it goes. And so it starts with us and building best practices for us. It starts with playing off of our own personal strengths so that we can help our clients do that. Also building our own personal gratitude practice that so we can help our clients do that. And once we harness our power, it helps to mitigate anxiety. So thanks so much to both of you. Thanks to our NASM Apple audience for joining us. All of you, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks everyone.